Bonjour, and welcome once again to Thought Architecture, the place where we challenge how your brain has its frameworks and its structures. And so today I wanted to really go into a request. A good friend of mine, his name is Ronan. Uh, please check out his website. He's known as the Wandering Poet. Well, I mean, that's at least uh, how I like to refer to him. Uh, Ronan is great. He's a good, he's a good person, philosopher, language teacher, tutor. He does it all. He's a writer. He's an activist. Uh, check out his website below. So Ronan, Ronan asked me this very question. He said, well, you know, what is my take on the left versus right brain debate? Okay. And what is the impact of this on learning as well? So let me actually go directly to his question. And it says, um, I think I heard you challenge the resurgence of the notion that the hemispheres are functionally totally different. Would love to hear that explored, grounded in how understanding or misunderstanding the neurology could affect how we go about our learning. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, for those of you who have had your head in the sand, the, the very typical notion is that the left hemisphere is for logic and rationale and things like that. And the right hemisphere is creativity and, you know, artistic talent and whatnot. And so you're either left-brained or you're right-brained. You either have these qualities or you don't have these qualities. And I absolutely challenge this. I think it's a lot of hogwash. I think it's one of the biggest, biggest brain myths out there next to we only use 10% of the, our brain. If you are one of those people who still believes that, please go wash your brain out with soap. It, uh, it's absolutely disproven. Okay. Um, so the 10% of our brain, it's proven that actually our brain is in use 100% of the time or 99 to 100% of the time the entire brain it's not like you know our brain is just like a vacant parking lot with waiting to be like you know occupied by something or activated by some magic pill thank you bradley cooper for that movie <laughs> so yeah hollywood loves to tout this myth which is why i think it's pervasive in our culture but actually the science doesn't support this at all you know um brain scans show activity all the time and of course in in any particular uh, given task it's, it's basically a whole brain endeavor. And remember that most of your brain is actually utilized for things like, um, you know, just keeping your heart rhythmical, uh, your breath patterns, uh, movement, adjustments in your body, all of that kind of stuff. A very slight minority of your brain is actually connected with what we would consider to be, you know, like our thinking brain or our human parts. Okay. So that's just the 10%. And so... With that being said, the idea then is left versus right hemisphere of the brain. Okay, so the myth is, of course, left is creativity, uh, sorry, left is logic, right is creativity. So my opinion, um, and there's some science that I'll attach to this if you want to check the show notes below, it's absolute hogwash, absolute hogwash. The very simple idea is that the brain doesn't have these localized areas connected with logic or connected with creativity so first of all logic is part of the thinking brain you know uh, creativity if you want to debate creativity as well i highly recommend you check out my article that i wrote on creativity i'll link it in the show notes below as well but the idea is that you know logic and creativity are not uh you know they're not antonyms they're not opposites they're you know you could absolutely be creative with logic and you could be logical in your creativity as well. You know, people don't just um, throw 
paint in the air and then run around with a canvas trying to catch the paint. You know, um, might be a cool painting. But the idea of creativity is literally like organizing, reorganizing, sequencing, resequencing. So very creative people can also be very logical people as well. Very creative people can be very compulsive people in terms of how they do things, which is, you know, by definition, part of the rational mind, so to speak. So I don't agree with the statement that, um, you know, just on a philosophical level, that the left and the right hemispheres are responsible for these things. But when we look at the brain science as well, we actually see that although there might be some localized areas, they're not localized specifically for logic tasks or they're not localized specifically for uh, creative tasks. So uh, let's dive into this. Let's talk about it. Okay, so there's uh, two particular areas which are connected with speech. So uh, this one called Wernicke's area, which is just behind the left ear, uh, the, the top corner of the left ear. All right. And there's one that's called Broca's area, which is just in front of the left ear as well. So you're saying, oh, Justin, so the left side is a uh, language. I'm like, yes. One of them is supposed to be for the formation of comprehensible inputs. And the other one is the processing of, um, sorry, the formation of comprehensible output. And the other one is the perception and comprehension of um, input. And so in saying these things, we actually, we can say, well, sure, there's language, there's language parts that are on the left side of the brain. However, when you are forming your sentences, you have to pull from long-term memory stores, um, which could be, you know, in the basal ganglia as part of proceduralized memory, uh, it could be in the neocortex. It could be, could be, could be. So there's all these other areas that are actually engaged when we are speaking and forming sentences. So the whole thing with Wernicke's area and Broca's area is that they're largely contested as well as being localized. No, they are active in these processes, but there's a lot more of the brain that's also active in these processes that includes other parts, other hemispheres. So it's not true to say, oh, the left is language. It's not at all just as much to say is like oh uh, david beckham is the only player on the team that matters well you know you put one person against 10 people and say goodbye to that game so you absolutely need these other parts you know how important that one part is that's still up for debate there's a lot of science behind this that they're still looking into it a lot of researchers that are disagreeing with these initial um hypotheses but the idea is that the suggestion is that it's, a, again, a whole brain activity to just speak or understand someone. So with that, even with speaking, you could say, well, the left brain is analytical, and so language and language learning is there. Yes, yeah, so where's poetry? Where is creative writing? As a linguistic endeavor, this is something that is in debate. Cool. So when I'm actually writing a stanza of a particular poem, Am I being creative? So only using the right side? No, absolutely not. I'm forming sentences. I'm playing around. I'm shifting around. I'm actually substituting layers and layers and seeing connections between things, which by argument's sake is going to be a logical, rational sequencing type of activity. But once again, the science shows that the entire brain is involved in uh, endeavors like this. So the idea that there's a separation between rationale and creativity or artistry is nonsense. Now, let's go into another point quickly. The, the, the motor sensory cortex is also called the somatosensory cortex. Um, 
there, there's basically there's two parts. There's sensing, and then there is control of the body. Okay, sensations is one part, control of the body is another part. And what's really interesting is that you see the, the primary sensory cortex is a little bit on the left, more dominant. The primary uh, somatosensory cortex is on the left. And so you could say, oh, it's, see, it's localized to the left side of the brain. But as we have seen before as well, you know, like just because it's localized there a little bit more than other areas doesn't mean that the full brain isn't involved, number one. And then number two is if a person has a stroke on the right side of the brain, then the left side of the body is affected. If the person's left side of the brain has a stroke, the right side of the body is affected. And so this once again lends credence to the idea that what, just because you use the left side of your body, you are now artistic on that side, or your right side of the body controlled by the left brain is somehow more analytical. So what, you know, you can only do maths with your right hand? Like, what the hell? And and so the, the, the very simple concept as well with regard to this, um, if you want to go into the science behind left and right sides of the brains, we can also talk about the science of ingraining things versus challenging things. So for example, people always cite, oh, people with left brains, uh, sorry, <laughs> left-handed people are always said to have better brains than right-handed people. Sure, but in a world that's created for right-handed people, left-handed people have to find a lot more solutions and be a lot more creative with their solutions. And so, you know, some tasks they'll do with the right hand, others with the left hand. And if they get like left-handed scissors or something like that, it's far more comfortable. But a lot of the times they try and use the right-handed tool for a left-handed job, or they'll use the right-handed tool with the right hand, teach themselves to use the right hand. And if they were unfortunate enough to be brought up in a school which forced them to use, you know, uh, to to become a right-handed writer to use right-handed implements, we've got a problem as well in that the brain adapts to things but still has a preference for other things. And we can talk about natural inclinations and ingraining it as well. So there are um, rehabilitation procedures for people who have strokes, for example, to do things backwards, you know, to, um, to somehow engage different parts and reconstruct the brain. So everything that you did previously from left to right, you used to read from left to right, reading from right to left or bottom to top instead of the other way around can actually help challenge the brain quite nicely. I like uh, mirror writing as well. Mirror writing and also reversing this, the, the sequence of the letters from, um, from right to left instead of left to right. Um, it's quite challenging, but you start to get into a pattern until it becomes quite easy. So Da Vinci, for example, is famed to have written all of his notes in mirror text. Um, that doesn't mean he's smarter. It means his initial adaptation to learn that skill was there. So his brain will show that kind of growth and adaptability. But then once it's comfortable, it's comfortable. It's that simple. And this is where we come back to brain skills are everything. And transferable brain skills are very, very important for our development. Whew. Well, all of that to say, Absolutely. Now, there's one other thing. I saw a very interesting TED talk. Hang on, let me check the time on this. Oh, plenty of time. Excellent. Okay. Um, I saw a very interesting TED talk once about a woman who had a stroke. And she had a stroke on the left-hand side of her brain. Uh, no, was it the right? I think it was the right-hand side of the brain. But one of the sides of the brain um, tends to be a lot more active when you participate. The other side of the brain tends to be a little bit more active when you uh, get like an out-of-body experience and you feel a type of dissociation, a 
And so I talked about this a little bit in my participant versus observer uh, podcast episode. Uh, highly recommend you go check that out because I think it's very important for you to be able to flip between the two. Obviously, for our safety and for our survival in primitive times, the participant is much more necessary. But for our ability to survive stress and for our ability to uh, detach from things, it's quite healthy to take the observer approach every now and again as well. And so maybe there is a connection here with balancing our lives that exists in the left and the right hemisphere. But by no means is it the rational versus the creative side. I would absolutely argue that 100% unequivocally. So if you want to check out more below, I'm going to link together my creativity article that I wrote, Redefining Creativity. Uh, the Harvard Health article that, uh, you know, has a little bit more of the science behind it as well as my participant versus observer audio that I've previously done. If you have any questions, if you have any challenges for me or anything like this, please let me know. Um, now, to this is my opinion, and this is definitely important. Now, when uh, my friend Ronan actually asked me, uh, I'm going to read the question again. I think you heard the challenge. Uh, I heard you challenge the resurgence of the notion that the hemispheres are functionally totally different. So hopefully I've shown you that although they might be different, there isn't this classic, you know, oh, I'm left-brained, oh, I'm right-brained, you know, like throw that away. Love to hear that explored. Hopefully I've done just that grounded in how understanding or misunderstanding the neurology could affect how we go about our learning and this is a big deal okay so first of all to understand the hemispheres as two separate things like left and right brain is not taking a um i want to take a top-down approach so first of all we've got the brain and then we can talk about okay localized areas right and we're not just making this up we're going based on what we've observed because things that aren't observable you know, if it's falsifiable, basically, we can trust it. If I can prove that it's fake or real, I can trust it. So I have a big problem with people who talk about like Freud and Jung as, uh, you know, psychoanalytics go. It's pretty false. It, it's pretty much like unfalsifiable. It's, it's this idea that I can't prove it's right and I can't prove it's wrong. And so it's just someone's theory. And while it might give us some insight when we come stuck, I truly believe that we should rather base it on like, well, what can we observe? What evidence do we have to think like this? Because I think the human brain largely um, creates its own reality inside its mind, this kind of um, you know, perception that we have. And it's not something that's tested or evidenced by reality. It's something that actually is meant to be uh, very negative in order to keep us alive. You know, don't go there. Don't trust these people. Why? Keep us alive. Okay. So think about the brain first. And if you want to check out uh, the previous podcast episode, I talked about language learning and, and working memory and long-term memory. And so when people take this approach of, well, I'm logical, and therefore it's probably better for me to learn like this, it becomes dangerous because then they stop exploring with the more creative sides. You know, um, another thing to talk about is learner preferences. If you've heard of VACOG before, the visual learners or auditory learners or, you know, kinesthetic learners olfactory or gastronomic learners like gastronomic learners like really you know yes i need to taste paper i need to taste a word like sure it does help to get you know all kinds of stimulus in but you don't just have five senses you've got all kinds of senses that we can talk about like your sense 
of your body in relation to gravity is one. You know, spatial relationships are very important for your senses to determine distance between things. It really affects you. So VACOG, first of all, is thrown out, in my opinion, because this type, this, this learner type of thing is, again, not founded in observable science. It's more this idea of uh, we put an idea out there and people just proliferated this idea and they believe it. And it actually does more damage than anything because all of us, 80% of our information apparently, according to some of the research, is from a visual um, input, right? 80%. And if you think about our eyes and how much information we take in from our eyes versus a dog, think about how big its nose is, how much information it must take in from its nose and its ears compared to its eyes, etc. So we start to get a sense of like, well, how powerful are our eyes connected with our brain and even that the optic nerve in terms of being able to establish distance is very important as well with blind people it's been shown to be active um, and so the idea is that your brain is wholly um, you know connected with new new information experience when we learn so in terms of language learning see it yes see an object see the word written down see it in context uh, listen to it so hear what the word sounds like pronounce slowly pronounce fast you know um, see the object the word is referring to um, associate colors with it associate smells with it whatever you want but the idea is that the brain enjoys a lot of sensory uh, input and so give it give it sensory input but to you know it does damage us to say well i'm a visual learner i'm not an auditory learner i need to see it everybody everybody can do well seeing and hearing it. So, you know, by saying that you identify as one type of learner, you start to omit the other types because you start to claim that they're unimportant just because you identify as one. And that identification is, again, based in rumor and gossip. It's not based in evidence. So you haven't proven to yourself that you're a visual learner. You could be a good learner despite only having visual input, not because of having visual input. Test it. Test it against each other. And even then, where are you going to test it against? Language learning. Well, maybe you're better auditory with language than you are visually because that's that's just something that uh, you've grown up with. But maybe learning to draw is something that, you know, you might be more visually stimulated than auditory stimulated and so on. So you see, the, the idea is that it depends on the context. It follows the law of specificity again. So if we take these horse crap claims into our brains, start to identify with it, it can actually damage our learning instead of going on, well, what does the brain respond to? What is this, this organism in my head, this machine in my head? How can I understand its behavior? What does it respond to well? And what does it respond to poorly? And so if we say, well, I'm left brain, so I'm logical, we start to rob ourselves of, of all the uh, artistic things that we can perhaps create with just a little bit more practice, a little bit more development of that skill. And so again, creativity comes down when people say, well, I'm not artistic. Well, creativity isn't limited to art. You could find creative solutions for everything in any industry as any person up that chain. You could find creative solutions for how to cook your dinner. You know, creative solutions for how to, f you know, clean your room. There's all kinds of things where creativity can be engaged. It's not necessarily limited to art. But that's what a lot of people unfortunately associate it with. And it's, it's, uh, it's sad because unfortunately, again, identity comes into it. And we start to identify ourselves and define ourselves by these things, proclaim it to people. And then so people then say, oh, well, they said they're only logical. They're not artistic. So therefore... I'm going to treat them like that. And then, of course, it does confounding beliefs and 
you know, the Pygmalion effect or the Gollum effect, you know, takes hold and people's beliefs are reaffirmed in their behaviors and their actions to others and others then perceive that and then reaffirm their own beliefs about themselves because of others' actions and blah, 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 blah. Vicious, vicious, vicious cycle. But there is a danger in this. But again, you know, it depends on how you interact with things. So once again, or law of specificity is what I would say. So let me know what you think. If you are a person who believes mainly in left versus right brained or, you know, some other uh, myth or the 10% of the brain, you know, give me a shout. Let me know. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I'd love to hear it. You know, even if you have a opposite point of view, I respect it you know, and I want to hear it. Mainly because uh, I do believe that I shouldn't speak on something unless I can eloquently describe the opposition's arguments. You know, so if I can't understand your arguments, how can I describe your arguments better than you can? And therefore, how can I actually describe the the comeback to your argument or something that can disprove your argument or cause you to question your argument? And we come up to this idea of uh, the opposite of confirmation bias is, honestly, it's falsifiability. Are you looking to confirm what you believe or are you looking to disprove or evidence what you believe. You know, the idea is that you should be open to the falsifiability of of the thing that you believe. So if you're constantly defending it and looking to confirm it and validate that you are right, um, it does create someone who is strong in the short term, but fragile in the long term, because you start to wrap your identity around things like, well, I'm left-brained. And that ultimately means that you're going to be a weaker learner for it. So... If you want to have the dis this discussion with me, please uh, reach out, message me. You can find me on Instagram at Justin Nope, at J-U-S-T-I-N-N-O-P-P-E. All right. Sounds like the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful week. Please let me know how it's going. Love you lots. Take care of yourselves. Ciao, ciao.